excited about being with you. Let me just tell you one thing about your church that maybe you're just used to. You all know how to be enthusiastic. Uh, you literally know enthusiasm is just contagious. And I'm a strong believer that nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. And so you're going to get out of church what you put into church. I'm a firm believer of that. And I am with the right people. So very cool. <clears throat> Well, let me, uh, last time I was here, last November, and I think that was, um, you know, probably a, a bunch of you were here last November when I was here, uh, and obviously some of you have joined the church since then, uh, so I'm not going to go through the whole, like, introduce myself, I think we know each other, I'm family now, um, but I did want to give you an updated picture of my family. Uh, this right here are, it's my family, that is actually uh, our farm in Nashville, Tennessee, and that's my three little kids, they're 15, 13, and 11. And uh, that's my wife of 19 years. We'll be married 20 years next month. And so it's hard to, hard to believe that's true. It's hard. I, I can't even believe I'm saying that. Um, we did not celebrate five years, 10 years, 15 years. Not in a real, we're not real big under that. But 20 years, we're going to Costa Rica, baby. I'm telling you. It's going to be awesome. Very cool stuff. Uh, one thing about my wife and I, just a little bit of an interesting fact before we, we move on today, is we were married uh, December 18th of 1999, last century. That's how old we are, last century. Now, we were supposed to get married in summer of 2000, but we moved our wedding up because of something that was happening that time in, the, in, our, in, our, in our lifetime. Those of you that are old enough, you can remember something called Y2K. And I was a firm believer that the whole world was going to end on Y2K. I'm like, no! And I was supposed to get married in summer of 2000. I'm like, I am not going out like that. You know what I'm saying? So we moved our wedding up to December 18th of 1999. I was like, I'm getting 12 good days in, baby. You know what I'm saying? 12 good days of marital conversation. What? Man, you guys, I'm telling you what, I don't know what you're talking about. But uh, anyway, so we're a Y2K marriage. There you go, a little bit about us. Well, we are here, we're in week three of our legacy series, and uh, so far it's been amazing. I've been tuned in, and uh, you know, sometimes when I go to speak at a church about finances or about anything relating to money at all, I, I, I have to like start at the beginning. I have to start really, really foundational and like build all the way up from nothing. And this time I just felt like, I, I, I literally just like want to wave a hanky that Pastor Tim has like said it all. So I'm like, dude, you totally crushed it. Like you don't need me. So um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's such a, an encouragement because I, I, to go to a church where they actually teach solid stewardship and management of finances because here's the deal. If, you're, if you go to a church that doesn't teach anything about money management, it is malpractice. It is spiritual negligence to not speak on a subject that touches every other area of your life, something that the Bible is 2,350 verses that deal with money, wealth, and possessions, and to not teach about it. It literally is criminal and it's a tragedy. So the fact that every November that you make sure that we hit this it's, it's really good for all of us because the stats show that we've got an issue and we've got a problem. Uh, last time I was here, uh, if you remember, I talked about uh, 
my 11-year-old birthday, and I talked a little bit about the tragedy behind that. I talked about growing up in a house with, filled with violence and several uh, fathers that went to jail and abuse shelter after abuse shelter and being homeless and sleeping in the backseat of a car and going to 17 different schools. I told you about this whole little thing about my childhood, and it was awful to hear. Then I took some of those things that came out of my childhood, and they actually affected my adult life, and I found myself in bankruptcy court, and I filed bankruptcy in my early adult years, and since then I've been clawing out, and I found out that God knows what he's doing. God knows exactly how we're supposed to handle money. And so we talked about Matthew 25, 14 through 30. We talked about the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold, which you guys know really well here at Momentum Church. And uh, we talked about that stewardship or managing God's stuff is not only a privilege, but it's also a responsibility, and that there's also rewards. There's rewards to doing it well. And uh, so that's what we talked about last time, and I feel like God is telling me to speak something a little bit different this, this time that came out of my devotional time and actually caught me by surprise, and I can't wait to, to share it with you today. So today, if you're taking notes, uh, the title of today's sermon is Don't Be Tricked. Don't be tricked. All locations, look to your neighbor, say, don't be tricked. Yes, I was going to say don't be duped, but I didn't know if everyone knew what that word meant. Let me pray for us. God, we come to you right now. We're asking for you to speak to us in a powerful way. God, we ask that you would remove the distractions, that you would remove the guilt and the shame out of all auditoriums, online, no guilt, no shame, a healthy awareness of where we're at, how we can improve and grow closer to you. God, we've been called to be the head and not the tail. God, I pray that, you, that we understand today that you came so that we could have life to the full, life abundantly, and we need to walk in that. And anything that we're doing to sabotage our own soul, I pray, God, that you would just take that out. We want some triage. We want some heart surgery today. But, God, not in guilt and shame. That's of the devil. Just a healthy conviction of you working in our lives is proof that your involvement, that you care about us and love us like a loving father. God, we open up our hearts to you. Speak to us in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. So years ago, there was this thing called a circus. Now, some of you that are a little bit younger, you're like, what in the world is that? But back in the day, man, this big tent would come into town, and the Barnum and Bailey Circus would come to town, a big monster tent, and there would be animals and tigers jumping through hula hoops set on fire, and all this stuff going on, and clowns, and everybody have popcorn, and there would be people swinging from the rafters, and it was just a blast, so much fun. One of the best uh, attractions of a circus was this 10,000-pound elephant that would literally do anything on command. A trainer would be in the middle of the circus and just say, do this, do that, and the elephant would do it, and we were amazed. We were like, oh, it's so amazing. Wow. But there's actually a sad story behind that, how that elephant got to that point. You see, a baby elephant, all the way when it's a baby, it's trained in an empty tent, nothing but dirt, in the middle of the tent is this big, huge 10-foot monster pole. Around that pole is a big monster chain, even bigger than this one right here. And it's tied around the pole several times. And then the other end of the chain is wrapped around the little baby elephant's leg, super tight. 
nice and snug just so it can feel it. And that baby elephant will fight and fight and fight for days after day, week after week, even months after months, until one day that baby elephant, well, it gives up. It doesn't fight anymore. It accepts the fact that this is all I've ever been called to be. This is the life that's been chosen for me. It has no idea about the freedom that's on the other side of the chain. It just sits there like this every day, and I guess they don't know any different. So this baby elephant's like, you know what? This is what I was supposed to do. Now that little baby elephant grows up to be an adult, and that baby elephant becomes 10,000 pounds, 7,000 to 12,000 pounds. And when it's an adult, that same elephant is tied to a stake about this big. The stake is put down several inches into the ground, not several feet, but several inches into the ground, and a little tiny rope tied around this big, massive ankle. And that elephant stays put for hours at a time until it's act. It literally just it has no idea that all it has to do is shake a leg. I mean, all it has to do is do the stanky leg. I mean, that's literally, it'd be completely done, right? It literally could just walk in one direction and be free. But here's the deal. That elephant, a 10,000-pound beast, an epic beast, has been tricked. That elephant thinks that it is doing what it was called to be, that there's no other life for them. Why in the world are we talking about circuses and elephants in church? You guys ask really good questions. I think by now you understand that we, in a lot of ways, are the elephant. We have been tricked by the world that we need to live in a bondage that is not necessarily the way we were supposed to be designed. We are not supposed to be living in bondage. We are, not, we are supposed to be free. We are supposed to lead the way. I think I heard it said a week ago or two weeks ago, we wouldn't even need the government if we'd get our act together. So here's the deal. Last couple of weeks, we talked a little bit about the disobedience involved in giving. The disobedience, not just at Momentum, everywhere. Christians in general, we don't get this. And I just, like the Lord, this week in my devotional time just said, hey, we're, we're good people. Why are we not giving? And I just think we're tricked. We've been tricked. And so what I want to do is I want to dive into James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. This is a passage that is... Uh, James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. This is written right around 60 A.D., no later than 69 A.D. This is right after Jesus. Listen, this is, this is somebody who is right next to Jesus and knows exactly what Jesus' ministry looks like. This is actually the book that was the first book written in the New Testament, although it doesn't show up in your Bible that way. But this is like, uh, it's been referred to as the epistle of applied Christianity. And I just love that. I'm a real practical guy. I love application. It's, it's been referred to as the New Testament Proverbs. So I just love this book because it's straight. I mean, James is a straight shooter. You ever just love somebody who just shoots it straight, doesn't beat around the bush? Now, he'll hurt your feelings a little bit, so he comes pretty strong. But I just love that. He's probably, you know, he, he hates injustice. Uh, he calls it out. Uh, there's no gray area for him. Uh, it's just black and white. He's probably a one on the Enneagram. But uh, James, I love his style. And so we're going to pick it up 
in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Now, in this book, he's talking to believers most of the time. You'll hear him say, or you'll read him say, like, brethren or brothers, right? In this particular passage, in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, he takes a time out, and he's actually not talking. It'd be like a, it'd be a scenario right here at whatever auditorium we're at. It'd be a scenario just like this, speaking to Christians. But there's one little subcategory of people in the room that aren't necessarily believers. And he's speaking to them at this moment. Now, here's what he says. He says, come now, you rich. This is not going to go well. It doesn't sound good, does it? This gets pretty heavy and pretty hard to hear. You rich. Now, what it means there, this is not just anyone who's wealthy. At this point, the reason why he's saying not brothers, it doesn't sound like it's very kind, is because he's talking to people who are not believers who are rich. These are unbelievers that are in the crowd who are rich. And the main difference is they put their identity in their wealth. You may be here this weekend and right now like, oh man, he's going to really diss on my wealth. No, it's okay to be wealthy. It's just don't have your identity in the wealth. No, <clears throat> actually, I think, I actually think God wants us to be wealthy. He wants to work through us. Now check this out, because man, money is a tool, not a weapon. It is something that God wants to use. Come now, you rich, those of you that your identity is wrapped up in, in wealth. And let me just break this down a little bit, give you a little more context so you can picture it. This is kind of like uh, an environment at church, and these people are coming to church two or three times a year, and they're coming to church solely so that they can be seen. They want to be seen. They want to act like, okay, you can trust me. I'm coming to church. They're playing the game, and they sit up front. They want to be treated special, and he's just calling them out, and I love it. It's like, boom. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. (laughs) Oh, snap. It's about to go down. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver, your cash, your loot have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you. And so all your junk's going to go away. Like, it's all going to be not worth anything. But check this out. And it will eat your flesh like fire. Not only is it going to corrode, it's going to corrode your soul from the inside. Wow. Right? Then it goes, you have laid up treasure in the last days. What it's saying there is like, listen, you think in the last days in tribulation, like your money is going to save you. You're literally putting all of your hope, all your chips into that's what's going to save you. Now, verse one through three, verses one through three is about one concept. And really it's about hoarding. Four through six is about (laughs) being shady. Of course, we don't have any shady problems in America at all, but uh, shady, this is shadiness, okay? Behold, this is how you got rich. Behold the wages of the laborers, okay? Pause for a minute. Laborers. Now, this is uh, 80% of the population in that day were considered extremely impoverished. They make the equivalent of today of less than $1 a month, $1 a day, I'm sorry, one dollar a day. So they're very, very impoverished people, and these are believers. So when you see laborers or you see harvesters, these are actually believers who are poor. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. You didn't pay them. Are crying out against you. Please pay us. Please be, uh, be just. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Pause. Now, what happened in those days, there was a class system or a caste system, and 
Whenever uh, there was injustice, there would be, let's say, the, uh, poor, the poor folks would try to take the wealthy folks to court. And if you got educated versus non-educated, you got wealthy versus not, how do you think that went? Literally, their lunch would be handed to them. I mean, they would just get destroyed in court. And so they had no chance. And actually, it would go one step further. The rich would actually take the poor to court and rake them for everything they're worth because they know that they're educated and they would actually destroy them in court. So this is really, really bad stuff. And so what happened here is they knew they wouldn't be heard in the court system, so they went around the system, they went up the ladder, and they talked directly to the Lord and said, hey, we need you to correct this injustice. And that's what's happening here. Verse five, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. What that means is because of your activities, some really good people have died because of it. He does not resist you. He sees you. His wrath is coming. This is all, it's pretty heavy. This is James like straight up telling him what's up, slapping him around a little bit. Now when I, we talk about that, that, that passage, what goes on inside your heart and your mind when you think about those particular people, those rich people? Maybe the injustice rises up inside of you. Maybe you get angry. Maybe you get sad. Maybe you got some kind of emotion like, oh, those rich people. I wish I could just go slap them myself, right? I don't know what's going on inside your heart. That was my initial reaction. But as I thought through this a little bit more, I actually feel sorry for those rich people. I'm not mad at them. I feel sorry for them. You know, when injustice happens in today's world, when we think about somebody who did a major crime, our, our, our first reaction is that's a, subconsciously, we wouldn't say it, but that's a bad person who did a bad thing and they need to go to jail. But once you've gone behind the scenes and talked to somebody who did something wrong, whether they got caught or not, which we've all done something wrong, caught or not, hello, right? And you talk to them behind the scenes and you're like, you know what? No, this is, they saw it from a different perspective. This is where they were coming from. They're an everyday person like we are. And here's the deal. We judge others based on reality, but we judge ourselves on intentions. And so it's not a fair justification. So I actually feel sorry for these rich people because I know they've been tricked. They bought into a worldview that like, it's all for me, it's all for me, it's all for me. And if anyone else gets anything, I get nothing. And there's only so much to go around. It's a scarcity mindset. And so it's changed their worldview, it's changed their actions. And so I actually feel sorry for him because if you think through what could be happen, what could happen with money, what could happen with influence, what could happen with wealth, they're missing out on all that. So I kind of feel sorry for them. They've been tricked. I hinted at this earlier that, I, you know, growing up, the way that I grew up underneath bridges and homeless shelters, that with that came a scarcity mentality of like, get what you can you know, eat seconds and thirds and fourths before everyone else gets seconds. I mean, you just start pounding pizza. You're like, you got 10 slices in and no one else has gotten any. You know, that, that, that translated into a lot of the things in my early adult life. And I'm thinking through, it's not just me. If I look around to the left and the right and I look through American stats, we're all struggling. Like we're all struggling, we are all super tricked. And we've got tons of media messages coming out as 100 mile an hour on how we're supposed to handle finances. And all of it is just absolute straight propaganda from the devil. Oh, Chris, that's an overstatement. No, it's not. 
If he can keep us in bondage and we have no margin, where there is no margin, there is no ministry. You see, being intentioned for ministry is nothing without being positioned for ministry. If every dollar that comes into our hands has an obligation to the past, it'll have no opportunity for the future. So if he can keep us obligated, then we can't take advantage of any opportunity. So let me lead you to trick. I'm going to give you several tri- tricks today. I, I probably got 50 I could share. I might stop at 48. <laughs> For trick number one, this is how the world tricks us, okay? And I'm hoping that something today that you get untricked and it leads to 10,000, 100,000, million extra dollars in your hands so you can be used for the kingdom, all because of something you heard this weekend. Number one is that the, what the world will tell you. The number one trick is debt is a, just the way the life works. Debt is just the way life works. I remember one time interviewing for a job down in um, South Florida. First thing the guy told me who's going to hire me, he says, oh, a, a car payment is just the way of life. That's just the way the world works. That's just, so I just budget $500 for my, and I just budget for it. It's no big deal. What he just told me is he is signing up for, for that level of car is like $15,000, $20,000 in interest for no reason. It's crazy. Debt is the most well marketed product on the planet. Like better than anything, the best vacuum ever or the best water filtration system. No, debt. Debt, check this out. We get honored when we get accepted to get a credit card. We are on, ooh, I got the black card. I get to pay them more interest. Like what is wrong with us? We are being tricked where we're like, ooh, I got accepted to give money away. What? Economics 101, interest paid is a penalty, interest received is a reward. <gasps> Who knew? It's the number one marketed thing. We actually get excited that we get, that. ooh, we got that, ooh, that's nice. What? The average car payment in America is $26,000 at 9% interest over six years. Do you know what you paid for that $26,000 car at the end of six years? $33,000. What? You know what the car's worth then? $6,000. Folks, we're smarter than that. We are being tricked. If you like to make car payments, go ahead and make your car payments to yourself. Pay yourself $500 a month, put it in the savings account, and upgrade your car $5,000 every 10 months. Boom, that's what I'm talking about. Now you walk into a car dealership and you got this stuff called cash. I know it's like crazy, right? And you're walking in and they look at you and you've got this, make make an appearance. I mean, have the briefcase and everything and kind of strut in there. They'll be like, I've heard about you people. Like that's a unicorn. I've heard one of those. And then you're buying a $7,000 car for $5,000 because the power of cash because they don't even know what to do with that, right? That's what we need to do. We're called to be the head and not the tail. Let's not keep falling into this trap. Come on now. Some of you may say, uh, you may say, uh, how about them credit card points? How about them credit card? I love my credit card points. Now it's getting tense. Woo-hoo. He's going to talk about credit cards, honey. Let's go, right? Did you know that credit card companies themselves brag that you spend 20% more when you use plastic than you use cash? And then we get excited that we get 3% back. Are we dumb? We are smarter than that. Do you, I mean, math would tell you you're spending 20% more and you're getting 3% back and you feel like you're winning. I've talked to men on the radio show. I've talked to like thousands, literally thousands of successful people with money. I've never had one of them come up to me and say, hey, Chris, come here, come here, come here, come here, Chris, come here, come here, Chris. You want me to tell you a secret? <laughs> Do you want to know how I got so wealthy? 
Come on, I'll tell you a secret. Don't tell anyone. It's those credit card points. Just put me right over the top, right? It's never happened, right? Come on, quit playing the game. It's like, yeah, but what about my credit score? Did you know your credit score is just an I love debt score? And literally, it's all these different measurements of how much debt have you had? How long have you had the debt? What kinds of debt? It's how well you play kissy face with the bank. It's like, ooh, I got an 800 credit score. That just means you pay really good interest. The times in my life where I've had the highest uh, 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 FICO score or the, the credit score are the times where I had the lowest net worth. The times where I've had the highest net worth, I've had the lowest credit score, like zero. Right? It is not a measurement. We are being tricked that debt is a way of life. It's not a way of life. Well, how do you spend for things? You save. Whoa. What did he say? Was that the four-letter oh, four word? Oh, my gosh. Anyway, number two. Number two is more stuff will make you more happy. More stuff will make you more happy. You know, I travel a lot. I stay in a lot of different kinds of hotels. I stay in a lot of different, I travel a lot of different ways, either private, sometimes a first class, sometimes coach, sometimes bicycle. I travel a lot of different ways. But I've never been able to correlate a difference between if I stay in a nice hotel, how many happy people there are, or I stay in the Econo Lodge, how many happy people there are. I've stayed in both. And I don't, actually, I would say if there's any correlation, it would be a reverse uh, correlation where I see more RBFs in the, uh, in the higher end, resting bitter faces. Um, in, the, uh, in the nicer hotels. You know, recently I was traveling uh, coach to Dallas uh, last month. And uh, I was having one of these days where I was mad at the rich people and the first class people. And I was kind of oh, looking a little smug there, buddy like all nice and comfortable and you got more room. And I was getting like kind of jealous. Like I was kind of mad about it. And I was kind of huffing and puffing through there. There just seemed like they were a little arrogant that day. Or I had a complex, one of the two. It's probably more me, the complex. Anyway, I got back to my seat and I feel like Jesus slapped me around. He said, hey, Chris, do you, hey, can you just adjust that personal air conditioner above you? Yeah, and do you like that little, like, that little pocket in front of you where you can store your laptop, your $1,000 laptop? And how do you like that armrest right there? You want it up or do you want it down? Do you want to recline your seat, Chris? Oh, what are you going to have to drink when she actually comes and takes your order, then comes back and brings you a drink, and then comes back and grabs your trash? And you have a reading light, Chris. And Chris, guess what? By the way, you have Wi-Fi. You can literally text your wife. And by the way, you're going 660 miles at 550 miles per hour at 31,000 feet in a metal tube. And you can go number one and number two on this thing. <laughs> Chris, you're rich. You see, when I said, come now, you rich people, and I know we're talking about ungodly rich people, and of course we're all very godly and we're perfect with our money. But you may have been thinking about rich people. Rich people. Do you know what the definition of rich is? Somebody who makes more than you. That's it. I mean, some of you make twenty thousand and twenty-five thousand is rich. Some of you make forty thousand and sixty thousand is rich. The sixty thousand person thinks eighty thousand is rich. It's just anyone who makes more money than you. What does rich mean? Listen, if you make over thirty thousand dollars a year, you're in the top one percent of the world's wealth. If you make over fourteen thousand dollars a year, you're in the top eleven percent of the world's wealth, folks. Rich. More stuff makes you more. Here's some homework assignment for us. Maybe go buy a junkyard. Go buy a junkyard sometime and just look at all the dreams that were in those dream cars 
these dream cars that were like, there was a dream car one day that came home, a high school senior came home and it was sitting in the driveway and the bow was on it and it was amazing. And now the car is literally a foot and a half tall, crushed down and it's completely filled with rust. Listen, it's okay to own things. You've heard this before, but don't have the stuff own you, right? That's the big difference. Don't have your identity and stuff and more stuff will not make you more happy. I got a quick video that I saw this week on Twitter, I believe, Operation Christmas Child. And think about the joy that the last little gadget got you. Maybe it's a $30 gadget, the joy that that brought. And compare that against the joy that was brought on this video. Check this out. Now that's what I'm talking about. I mean, that's what I'm, that literally, when you think of every transaction that you, that come, that you are involved in, think about it. Every time that you spend something on stuff, you're not being able to experience that. That is the most joy you'll ever have with, with money is to be able to do those. That's when you're the most like Jesus. And so many of us are waiting in line at the Apple store for the next thing that has one difference in the product. And it's just, oh, I've got to have it. Well, I know you, none of us would say out loud that we, more stuff is going to make us more happy. I think we know that. But our actions, if you look at our bank statement, if you look at our checkbook, if you look at our, our, if you look at our it's just the way that we do. If you look at, oh, wait, wait, more things, more things. Oh, my gosh, more things, more things. This is not to feel guilty, not to feel shame. It's just an awareness. Trick number three. Trick number three. <laughs> this one might surprise you. Leave a legacy. What? Leave a legacy? That's a trick? We're not supposed to leave a legacy? Um, here's just, just, I'm going to do the quick version of this, okay? It's not leave a legacy. Leaving a legacy is all about us because it's what you left about your name. It's just a play on words here, but it's really important that we get this. You don't leave a legacy. You live a legacy. You live it. Like you live it in your everyday life. There, the legacies that you can think of in the past the legacies you can think of in every industry, whether it's a spiritual legacy or whether it's an industrial legacy or it's a sports legacy, the real legacies don't happen in a one-time event. You see, we overestimate the event, but we underestimate the process. It's what we do consistently over time. In your transactions, your transactions consistently, do they worship God? If you were to look at your bank statement, you were to put your bank statement right up against the Bible, would they reflect each other? I don't know. And you're like, Chris, you're getting in my girl. I don't know who's who, so don't get offended. I don't know who. I, I just know that for me, that's a great filter. Does my bank statement wrap up, does it line up with what I believe? You're not going to leave a legacy. You're going to live one. See, you don't even leave a legacy of, of generosity. You don't. You live a legacy of gratitude that obviously propels you to generosity. Number four. Here's number four. Number four trick, the trick number four is it, that it's your money. It, literally, the world tells us you deserve, you work so hard, and so therefore we think it's our money. When Psalm 24, 1 clearly tells us the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says those who have been called to be managers must prove faithful. So what does faithful look like? It's about being that manager, that manager for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
So I recently had a, uh, I took my little boy, uh, my middle son, Jack. Uh, I told myself I was not going to say his name. Oops. Um, I took him to a place called Music City Crepes. And, uh, and he loves this place. I don't care for it, but it's this Caesar crepe that he loves. Anyway, I buy him this crepe. We go to sit down. We're in the food court at the mall. He's enjoying it. He's loving it. I'm enjoying my food. And then at that moment, I had the audacity to reach over the table and attempt to take one of his fries. When I did so, my son, my 13-year-old son, my offspring, the one I brought into this world, slapped my hand and said, mine. I was like, oh, no, you didn't. (laughs) And I looked at him, because I'm a loving father, I looked at him in the most nice, kind, gracious way, and I said, boy, (laughs) I will jump over this table and beat you and take all your fries. Any emails on that one, it's Tim Payne at MomentumChurch.org. <laughs> he literally thought they were his. I was like, <laughs> that's hilarious. Like, do you know who bought that for you? Do you know how you're here? Do you know how you have clothes on your body? Do you know how you like, even exist? And of course, I said it in love in Jesus' name. But I was like, boy... Don't forget, do we need to like reestablish our relationship? Are you living life like they're your crepes? Come on now. I just had this, I have a rabbit trail for a second and I'll be done. But while I have you here, all locations, um, I'm taking Tim and Steph out, out to a meal after church. And uh, I... Um, am cash only because of what I teach. So, but I don't have any cash. So I was wondering, this is really awkward. You talk about money and then you ask for money. Does anyone have like, I don't know, 40, 50, $60 that I can borrow to take them out? I guess it's really just for here, for Pensacola campus. Anybody? You do? Oh, come on, come on, come on. Man, give her a big round of applause. All locations. She's giving me money. Yeah, 60? Dang, what's up? You never know unless you ask, right? I did not know that was going to work. I'm going to ask for 100 next time. Anyway, try to, try to move on. That was a rabbit trail. So I feel sorry for these rich people that they don't get to experience the generosity and everything that we were talking about last week and everything we were talking about the week before. The, those kind of videos for the Operation Okay, you guys can't. You guys can't get past the fact that someone just brought me money. Dude, I've lost you. I can tell it's all over your face. I see you, Navarre. Did he really just ask for money? I thought that was only on TV. (laughs) Uh, Here's what really happened, okay? And I'll end with this. (laughs) I planted that money. Uh, I said, I'm going to ask for some money in the service, and I need you to bring me up the money. And uh, what was cool here at the Pensacola location is that Several people actually were going to bring up money. So I had to stop y'all. That was awesome. Uh, you guys are so generous. Um, but what, was that easy for you to bring that money up to me? She said, yeah. I mean, that's not easy. I mean, how, when's the last time you just gave somebody 50, 60 bucks? Right? That's not easy, but it was easy for her. Why? 
Blackwater, I heard you. You said because it wasn't hers. You see, the owner asked the manager to manage it for a season, to manage it for a few minutes. So when the owner asked for it back, it was not a big deal. You weren't, it was never yours. All you're doing is returning it back to the owner. Imagine the church today. If we really were to line up our transactions, line up the way that we handle money with what we say we believe. You see, we all know about God's ownership and our management. But if we look at our bank statement, is it a form of worship in every transaction? There's some things we gotta do that aren't sexy, like pay the light bill, I get it. But is it, we, we look at finances, is it a tool for the kingdom? It was designed to build your marriages, not bust your marriages. To develop your dreams, not destroy your dreams. Are we being the head or are we being the tail? Or are we being tricked? I'm calling Momentum Church to not be tricked. I'm calling you to just say, you know what? I'm going to kick you in the teeth, devil. We're not living like that. One transaction at a time. God, we come to you right now, and we're asking for your help in this. It's obvious that we needed help. It's all over your scriptures, 2,000 verses all about this. God, you knew we were going to struggle with it. God, I pray that the way that our transactions line up truly do reflect where our treasure is, there our heart is also. God, we know where much is given, much is required. God, today we're talking about money, but we are not worshiping the provision. We're worshiping the provider. God, again, I ask there be no guilt and shame in here, just growth. That come next November, all the stats look different that we're all in a great financial position. I pray that you'd give bold courage to the person under my voice right now that maybe needs to pick up a book. Maybe it's the total money makeover. And maybe it's the legacy journey. Maybe it's to take a class like Financial Peace University. Maybe it's just to get in a group and have a good set of peers that lead them to the next level. But I pray, God, that everyone would take their management of resources seriously. And it really would be a form of worship, not just singing in church, but actually every transaction would be a form of worship. What if we looked at it that way? God, we love you. We're asking for victory in this area. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. What a great message, come on. What a great message. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you for bringing a powerful, powerful message to our church. I'm going to ask everyone to be seated at this time. And we never like to close a gathering without giving you an opportunity to invite Jesus Christ into your life and allow him to take what's old and he makes it new. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute. I want you to know that God loves you. He loves you so much that everything started out good. The gospel starts out good. The story started out good. That 
God loves us. And wherever you are today, whether you're in Navarre, you're in Gulf Breeze, you're watching online, maybe you're in Blackwater, or you're right here in Pensacola today, wherever you are, God loves you. He knows you, and He loves you. And to prove to you that He loves you, God allowed the craziest thing to happen. And that is He would give his only son, his one and only son, as a substitute for our sins. Scripture teaches us that in the very beginning, everything was good, but then sin entered the world and sin screwed everything up. And as you know, as I know, we know today that our world is in such a mess and it's because of sin. And the scripture goes on to let us know that the payment of our sin is death. That's why everybody dies. Everybody dies, a physical death. But did you know that there's actually a spiritual death? And so Jesus came while we were sinners. Christ, Jesus, died for us. Maybe you've worn a necklace before. It had a cross on it, a, a crucifix, and you wore that around, and, and, and that right there is a symbol of really God's love for us, that, that it wasn't the nails that held him on that cross, but it actually was his love for you, was his love for you. And he stayed on that cross while paying for our sins. You see, Jesus, God's son, he, perfect, never sinned, literally God in the flesh, and he who knew no sin. Jesus never sinned. He, he became our sins. Literally, he became every sin on that cross. And God, his Father, punished God the Son so that you and I could be power washed. Our sins, not only forgiven, but our sins forgotten. It's, it's no wonder we call him the Savior. No wonder, no wonder why people turn to Jesus. Are you kidding me? Like Jesus paid it all. He died once. He, he died for all my sins and all your sins. And, and Scripture says that if we will place our trust in Christ, that we'll be forgiven. We'll be made brand new. But you see, human nature doesn't want to do that because who wants to admit that they have a problem? Who wants to admit that we're guilty? Who wants to say, yes, I'm a sinner? But the truth is, we're all sinners. And because of our sin, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But the goodness of God made sure that there was a way for you and I to be, be forgiven, totally, completely forgiven. And Jesus stepped in and Jesus took our sins and he paid for all one time the sins of the world, your sins, the sins that no one knows about. I mean, not your, not your, your wife doesn't know, your husband doesn't know, dear God, I hope my kids never find out. My best friend doesn't know the sins that haunt you because you still carry the guilt and the shame, those sins. And while we were sinners, Christ died 
And the question is, why did Christ die? He died for us because he's for us. He loves you. And he died on that cross and they buried him. And three days later, three days later, Jesus got out of that grave alive forevermore. He walked out of that tomb fully alive, fully God, fully for you. Whether you're watching online or one of our other campuses, if you've never, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ alone, today is the day. I love that verse in the scripture that says that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Today's your day. It's your day to stop relying in yourself, on yourself, in your own goodness, in the things that you've done that you think, man, these are like really, really good. Like if I could get to heaven because what I've done, I'm there. But the truth is we can't get there because of what we've done. We can only get there because of what he's done. And he fully paid for our sins. And this scripture says this, if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, that, that means that if we will say, Jesus, you're Lord, you're God, I'm not. And if we'll believe that he not only died for us, but he rose from the dead, scripture says that we'll be saved. And that word saved means forgiven, completely forgiven. So much so that God does not even remember your sins anymore. They're forgiven, but here's the really, really good news. They're forgotten. That's good news. Like who would not want that debt erased? Who would not want the debt of all of our sins, that sin debt, that sin mortgage? Who, who in this room, who watching online would not allow someone else to pay off your house and to set you free from that type of debt? And yet Jesus did that when he died on the cross and he rose again. And if you're here and you know, I've been trusting in religion, some good works, going to church. Maybe I've given money that should get me in or I've read my Bible or I say prayers every night. That won't get you to heaven. The transaction of literally transferring your trust to Christ alone, to that account. That's what will do it. And I believe in a crowd this size here today. And I believe in a crowd in Gulf Breeze and Navarre watching online and in Blackwater. I believe there are many people today that you've been trying to go through life and do it your own way. And you have realized you can't. And I've got good news today. God can. But it starts with a relationship with him. That's the beginning. And I want to invite you. I want to invite you. Scripture says, if we will call on the name of the Lord will be saved, forgiven. So let's do that. The way that we do that here is, is every, every weekend, we end the gathering with what's called a sinner's prayer. And that is, I invite you to pray a prayer. And it's not getting just all the words just right. It is your heart to God's heart. It is your lips to his ears. It's confessing you're a sinner, believing he's the savior. That's it, that's it. Whether you're a child, a teenager, a college student, an adult, wherever you are, listen, God can rescue you right here today. You see, Jesus didn't die on the cross, so we would be good. He didn't just die on the cross, so we would go to church. Jesus died on the cross because without Jesus, we're a dead man walking. We're a dead, you're a dead woman walking without Jesus. He's life, and he's life abundantly. 
Jesus came to give us life, and Jesus makes us better at life. So I want to lead us in that prayer. And I want to encourage you to pray with me right where you're at. And you're not praying to me. You're not praying through me. I'm a man. We're, we're going to go right to God. We're live. We're just going to pray to him. And, and he's going to hear you. And he's going to save you. So let's pray this together so that no one prays it alone, okay? And then afterwards, I'm going to ask if you pray that prayer. I mean, hello. Like, I'm gonna, we saw the joy in those kids just from a box of goodies. This is forgiven. This is not only heaven one day, like Jesus paid it all. Heaven, my eternity is settled forever. No, no, this is like Jesus is here with me today. This is like the Spirit of God takes up residence in me now. Like this is something to celebrate. And so after we pray it, I'm going to ask you, if, if you pray that for the first time, I mean, heaven's throwing a party. The angels are rejoicing in heaven. We, we just want to celebrate with you. I'm going to ask you to raise that hand. Hold it up high. We have a gift to help you, to help you in your new walk, this new faith walk. So let's pray this prayer together. And if you're a Christian, hey, pray it. Pray it out loud for the person who never prayed it for, just to encourage them. Can we do that? We'll put courage in people. Let's do it right now. Heads bowed and eyes closed. You just repeat after me. Would you say, God, I'm a sinner. We both know that. And I desperately need a Savior. Today, I put my faith in you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. And I believe you rose again. I declare that Jesus is Lord. I now give you my life and I receive your life. Now teach me how to live in Jesus' name. Everybody look up, look, 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 look. Everybody look up, look up, that's awesome. If you prayed that prayer, you prayed that prayer today, wherever you are, you're in Navarre, you're in Gulf Breeze, you're watching online, wherever you are, you're, you're in Blackwater, and you just pray that prayer. I want you to know, I want you to know God heard you, and God accepted that prayer. And I want to tell you something, God has already made you brand new. So let's celebrate that right now. God's already made you brand new. If God did that for you today, right now, I want you to hold that hand up high on the count of three. Don't be shy. Don't hesitate. Don't procrastinate. I want you to hold it up high. Here we go. Ready? On three. One, two, three. Right now, hold it up. I see the hand, and I see the hand.